Awesome. How are we, church? Are you well? You're live? You're glad you came to church this morning? All the disobedient people that sat down and I haven't dismissed you, that's fine. You can do that. You can live in rebellion. That's fine. You can take your seats. Uh, so good to be with you. So privileged to be able to uh, come around God's Word and share. How many people know that we need God's Word more than ever in 2023? How many people know that we need Jesus and the Holy Spirit more than ever in this day and age? Amen. If you do have your Bibles with you, I'd love it if you could turn to John chapter 14. We're just going to read one verse this morning. One verse. Jesus is replying to one of his disciples, Thomas, who was asking about Uh, Where is Jesus going after he returns? John chapter 14, verse 6. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow on the screen and you can scan it with your smartphone to follow along today's scriptures. And it says this, Jesus told him, this is Thomas, I am the way, everybody say the way. I am the truth, everybody say the truth. And I am the life, everybody say the life. No one can come to the Father except through Me, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the power of your word. We're thankful that it can transform a heart, a life. And God, I pray today that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that you would shape us, that you would mold us, that we would walk out of church, not just having attended a service, but having heard from heaven, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, I wonder if you can think of a time in your life where you did something a certain way and you were fixated on that way, you were accustomed to that way, only for someone else to offer a different method or a different way of doing that particular exercise. A couple of years ago, our family decided to change up the way that we did groceries. I know, exciting. And we decided that we would start purchasing, you know, the meals that would come in the box every week and it would have the ingredients. Everybody know what I'm talking about? HelloFresh and every plate. And so we started to do that to, to save a little bit of money. And the agreement was, is that I would also start helping with the cooking. And so Monday nights was, was my roster shift. That was when I was cooking for the family. And, and it was, you know, reasonably simple. I was a little bit nervous, but my wife said, look, you know, it comes with the recipe. It comes with the ingredients. You don't need a PhD. Like my signature dishes prior to this was toast and two-minute noodles. That's, that was my go-to. And so I was a little bit dubious about stepping into the deep end of cooking a meal with more than three ingredients. But my wife assured me, and so as time progressed, we got into uh, cooking regular meals. And as I said, Monday night was my shift. But I noticed a trend that started to happen. Every Monday night, around about 5.30 when I started to cook, my wife would sort of just wander into the kitchen. And as I'm preparing the meal, and, and she wouldn't say anything, she would just sit at the stool with her eyes fixated me and and. and she would sometimes not say anything, but she just, as I was, you know, emptying the, 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 the pot or using the fry pan or whatever, you know, and she would just go, hmm, just make these noises. And, 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 and this continued for, you know, a, a number of weeks. And, and after about a month, I was like, like, are you all good? Like, is this a test? Are you the food inspector? Like, if you've got something to say just say it. 
And, you know, we, we have a vitalized marriage. And she said, she said, you know, there's, there's, there's another way you can do that. And, you know, it might have been straining the noodles or, or, or preheating the oven, which I didn't realize you had to do. There was, there was all these little things where she would say, you know, there's a, a, a different way that you could do that. And of course, being the humble man I am, I receive that correction with love and I, I hear you, darling. Thank you for making me a better husband. I'm so appreciative. But now, now after 12, 18 months, 24 months of this process, I tell you, I, I, I'm, I'm so accustomed to the way that she has shown me these new and different methods to cook. Jesus says there is only one way to God. And we would say yes and amen. We're not here to dispute that. We're not here to change that. Jesus says there is only one way to God. In fact, before the word Christians was used, uh, people that were following Jesus were literally known as people of the way or people of following Jesus's way. 300 years after they used that, they changed it to the word Christians because it just got too long to say. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to zero in on the words through me from John 14, 6. No one can come to the Father except through me. Those two words, these words speak of an encounter, an experience, a heart change. It describes a moment in time through me, what Jesus is talking about, where the created meets the creator. It's a moment where where God the Father no longer sees a sinner, but he sees a saint, not because of their good deeds and their good actions, but because now they see, uh, he, he sees the sinner through what Jesus has done as a saint. But here's the question that I want to ask this morning. Do we think of the words through me and those moments, those experiences only in a one-dimensional fashion? Have we subscribed to a singular method in church today and in Christian circles of how Jesus can bring salvation. We're not here to dispute whether Jesus is the way. We would say yes and amen. There is only one way to God the Father through Jesus. But have we subscribed to a singular method of how Jesus can bring salvation? See, when we say Jesus is the only way, are we actually saying, but my way is the only way? I came to Jesus this way, and so you have to as well. Otherwise, I'm not so sure your salvation is legitimate. You know, we we, we need, it needs to be in a church. There needs to be the keyboardist. The lighting has to be right. We have to have the altar call. We have to have the sinner's prayer. Have to have all these elements and ingredients for someone to receive salvation. And once we have all those things, then we can declare someone saved. Let me ask it this way, are we holding on to a method or methods so tightly that what we thought was helpful to the church and helpful to the kingdom of God, but is actually hindering us? Have we prescribed to God how, where, when, and to whom he can bring salvation? You might be saying, well, why does this matter? Oh, it matters, friend. It matters in 2023 for you personally. How you interpret God is how you interact with God. And for others, when we're reaching others in our world and in other spheres, how we perceive God is how we will project God. 
What we believe about God will determine what we broadcast about God. How we see God as God the Father, whether we see Him as an angry judge, is what we'll project to the world that we're trying to reach. You know, one of the things that I'm sick of hearing from my friends that don't yet know Christ is, Jared, if I walk through the walls of your church, the, 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 the walls would come down. I'm sick of hearing that because of, that's their perception that they, they feel like they're so far from God and they're so filthy and they're so dirty and they're so broken that if I ever stepped into church, then the walls would collapse. Where do they get that from? Where do they get that phrase, that statement? possibly from some projections of the church and Christians that you have to have your life cleaned up to step into the walls of a church. Jesus arrives in Jericho, Luke chapter 19. Jesus arrives in Jericho and as he's making his way through a crowd, a wealthy tax collector named Zacchaeus who is vertically challenged, in other words, he's probably no higher than four foot, He climbs a tree to get a glimpse of the one that they call the Messiah, the rabbi. And amongst the crowd, Jesus calls him down from the tree. And Zacchaeus was so moved by the compassion shown by Jesus that he says to Jesus, here and now I will sell half my wealth. And what does Jesus respond to him? Luke chapter 19 verse 9 says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Salvation is there with no altar call, no sinner's prayer. He certainly wasn't in church at the time. And what was the, what was the only way that you could have been saved in the first century? Here's a little Bible lesson for it. What was the only way that you could be saved in the first century? Through a temple ritual. And so what do you do when you're not allowed in the temple because you're a notorious tax collector who was hated by the people, Zacchaeus. What do you do when the only way that you can get saved is to be in the temple and you're not allowed in the temple because of your occupation? What, 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 what's your motive? What's your actions? What do you do when your presence has been forbidden because of your job? Jesus wasn't just conf- forgiving the man. He was confronting a system of exclusion and oppression. He was circumventing the whole notion that salvation could only be obtained through a ritual. He was saying to the religious system that the good news that I bring is for everyone. No longer will people be excluded with the message that I bring. He saw a heart transform ever so slightly. All Zacchaeus said is, I'm going to sell half my, and the heart, his heart moves just an inch And Jesus said, I'll meet you the rest of the way. I'll enter your mess. I'll enter your story. Salvation has come to your home today. God doesn't back off your chaos. God brings salvation to it. He engages with your story. Bible goes on to say that people were displeased that Jesus would talk to a sinner. Why? Because some people would rather be right about the Bible, but wrong about Jesus. We have Christians today that want to be right about Scripture, but they're wrong about Jesus. Our role is about applying and fulfilling Scripture the way Jesus did. Prior to Jesus, there were 614 laws 
that existed. Jesus arrived on earth and said, look guys, I'm just going to make it real simple. We're going to grab those 614 laws throughout the Old Testament and we're going to condense them into two. Love God and love one another. Real simple. And so when we read Scripture, we ought to take on board how we apply and fulfill Scripture the way Jesus did. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 same chapter, Jesus goes on to say, you know what? I'm going to bring a new narrative. I'm bringing a new way. I'm bringing a new yoke to this world. Salvation is here. Turn with me, if you will, into Luke chapter 4. Jesus is invited to a dinner by a Pharisee, and at dinner, a prostitute was also there. And she was so moved by his presence that she knelt down and wiped his feet with her hair. And this is how Jesus responds to the prostitute in Luke chapter 4, verse 47. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. What was the only way that you could get saved in the first century? A temple ritual. Who was forbidden from the temple? Prostitutes. So what do you do When you're crying out for salvation, you're crying out for the oppression to be broken, where can you go? The answer is nowhere. And Jesus saw her heart transform ever so slightly and he meets her the rest of the way. And here's what 21st century church leaders would do, me included. We would look at that and we would think, right, how can we build a formula around that for church growth? How can, how, you know, let, let's look at the ingredients of how salvation came to that person. Jesus doesn't do formulas. And people that can't grow hair when they read that verse are thankful for that. Because if the only way that you can get salvation is cleaning Jesus' hair, uh, feet with your hair, and you're bald, you're, I mean, that's, you're excluded, friend. I'm not going to point you out, but you know who you are. Jesus is consistent yet completely spontaneous. There's a consistency to God's character. But can Jesus say to a prostitute who cleans his feet with her hair, salvation is come? Can Jesus do that? The answer is yes. Can Jesus call a notorious tax collector down from the tree and say, salvation has come to your home today without the sinner's prayer, without uh, you know, eloquent words? Of course he can. It's Jesus' consistency, yet he is completely Spontaneous. There is no formula to Jesus. There is no magic method. There is no silver bullet. He perceives heart change. He looks at our hearts and says, you know what? That heart has moved a millimeter. I'll meet you the rest of the way. I'll engage in your chaos. I'll engage in your story. I'll engage in your mess. I'm not going to back away from it. I'm not intimidated. It. I'm not fearful of it. Luke chapter 23, same book. There's a guy next to Jesus on a cross. He's not having the best of days. And he's struggling to breathe as the weight of his body starts to crush his lungs. But he manages to squeeze out the words to Jesus next to him, Lord, remember me. And how does Jesus reply? Well, let me get the band back. I see that hand. That was that was that, that was Jesus speaking. Sam, you can stay. You can stay seated. I was making a point. <laughs> see, some of my humour these days goes over young people. You know, they just 
They just don't get it, you know? I love you, Sam. <laughs> Jesus says to the man beside him, well, this is, you know, we need the keyboardist. We need the lights. You need to repeat these words. He doesn't say any of that. What does he say? Luke chapter 23, verse 43. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can Jesus do that? Of course he can. He's Jesus. He saw this man's heart change on a cross and says, look, I know it's the 11th hour, but I've seen a heart change in you. Salvation has come to you today. Three different occasions, Zacchaeus, the prostitute, and the thief on the cross, receiving salvation. And Jesus is making a point. Jesus is making a statement to the religious system of the day. No longer will you have the power. No longer will you exclude and oppress my people. The good news is for everyone. And so here are a couple of questions that I think we ought examine our own heart as we look at these three examples and we're talking about Jesus is the way, but how can someone receive salvation? In what areas of my life have I prescribed to God to follow a method or a formula? Think about areas of your life where you want God to come through for you or where you want God to act and you said, well, God, I need, I need it to happen this way. I need you to follow this method. I need you to follow this pattern and this formula. Because that's what's safe for me and that's what's comfortable and convenient for me. God doesn't do formulas. God doesn't prescribe to our methods. God lives outside of space, time, and matter. And yet, as his followers, we can have the audacity to say to him, well, this is this is my little safe box, and this is how I need you to operate, God. God doesn't do that. Where have you prescribed God to follow a method or a formula? And what needs to change there? Here's the second question that I think we can ask ourselves. How often do I finish Jesus' sentences through assumption and presumption? How often do we presume on Jesus? Maybe when we're looking at other people in our world and we think, well, God, there's, it, there's no way that they, you could reach them. They're too far gone. And we finish Jesus' sentence. The way that I read my Bible, the good news is for everyone. Here's the third question. Is God being rejected because of how I'm projecting Him? Maybe to friends and family in my world is how I project God and broadcast God. Is it, have I actually got the correct perception of who Jesus is? Ah, oh, friend, you might be right about the Bible, but are you applying it and fulfilling Scripture the way that Jesus did? Or do you just want to be right about the facts? Here's what I believe. It's more about being light than right. I haven't seen too many people respond to the gospel out of an argument or a debate. But here's where I have seen people respond to the gospel when they find out that I actually care about them, when there's a genuine compassion and love for them. It's more about being light than being right, friends. 
How are we projecting God to the world today? How are we presenting God in our workplaces, in our families, in our universities, in our schools, in our friendship circles? How do we present Him? And is He being rejected because we're presenting Him in a bad light? And here's the last question. Do I need salvation today? And many of us here this morning, you would all raise your hand and say, well, I've, I've, I've received salvation. Here's what I believe. I believe that salvation is not only a moment in time, but it's also a process. In fact, when we look at the word salvation throughout Scripture, in the ancient Hebrew, because there was only 8,000 words in the ancient Hebrew, one word could mean multiple things. And so the word salvation could also be extended to words like rescued. And so when we see this word salvation in Scripture, which we only see about seven times, it not only represents that moment in time where we receive the free gift of righteousness and yes and amen, but it also represents a moment where it's a process. Another word for it is sanctification. In other words, we're constantly, God is constantly growing us and shaping us and moving us. But maybe you're here today and you're like, I I know that. I know God the Father. I know Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit and praise God for that. But maybe, maybe right now there's an area of your life where you're like, God, I need salvation. Not salvation from my sins, but I need a breakthrough. Do I need salvation today? Because like Zacchaeus, like the prostitute, and like the thief on the cross, I know one thing about our God. He wants to break the oppression. He wants breakthrough for your life. Why don't you stand with me, church? With every eye closed. I wonder if that's you today. There's an area of your life. Could be anything. Jealousy, anger, betrayal. Whatever it is, you're hurting. And you cut deep. Jesus sees that today. And his words would echo, salvation is here. And so if that's you, I wonder if you could just simply raise your hand to say, God, see me today. Like Zacchaeus in the tree, see me today. Heavenly Father, you see hands. But more importantly, as your word describes it, more importantly than the hands, more importantly than the external, you see hearts. You see hearts moving. You see hearts changing. And God, the pattern that we can follow is when we see heart change, God, you respond. That when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. You enter our chaos. You enter our mess to bring life-transforming power. And so God, this morning, I pray right now for the people with their hands raised, that they would be reminded that you see them and we speak life 
We speak hope. We speak joy. God, remind us today that we're not to fit you into a box, a comfortable, convenient box, that that's safe with me. God, that we don't prescribe methods or formulas to who you are. Heavenly Father, I pray that each and every one of us, as we walk out today and we face our Mondays and we face the rest of the week, God, that you would do an inner work in our hearts, that whatever needs to be changed, God, so that we can present and project you to the world in the correct light, in the correct reflection of who you are, God. Comes through intimacy, comes through spending time with you. That we would represent you, that we would be your ambassadors and we would project you in the right light. May this world never reject you because of how we present you. In Jesus' name. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I wholeheartedly believe that, that when you spend time with God and that you walk with God, you can't get it any other way. You can't, hear me, I, I believe in community and church and, and, and walking with one another. But something happens that when you spend that one-on-one time with God, and you capture His heart for others around you. And then we reflect that and we, we, we be image bearers of who God is and how we project and how we present Him to others in our world. You can't get it any other way. You can't get it through a book. You can't get it through a podcast. It's that one-on-one moments of time that you spend with God. Amen. Church, we love you. Have a brilliant week. Enjoy the milkshakes and the muffins and we will see you next Sunday in church. <laughs>